Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to the last episode of Chamber Breakers, presented by Verizon Business and Yahoo Finance. I'm Leanna Brindard, Head of Yahoo Finance UK. And I'm Xavier White, CSR and Innovation Marketing Manager at Verizon Business. During this series, Leanna and I have been inviting thought leaders to break the echo chambers surrounding key social challenges. This season, we focused on CSR at a time of global crisis and the impact this time in history has had on various segments of our society and vulnerable communities. We'll be finishing off this season with Richard Cooper about the impact the global crisis is having on the UK homeless population. Richard is the founder of Footworks, which provides specialist podiatry services and new shoes to homeless people across London. When the coronavirus struck uh, in the UK, it's pretty amazing that within weeks, uh, nearly 6,000 homeless people had been accommodated. That just blew through the myth that there is no homes for homeless people. And actually what it's proven is that there is a, is a solution out there if we put our minds together. The big issues for me are many of the people that we serve and many of the people that we have been treating throughout the last three years come with very complex issues. They come primarily uh, to get their feet serviced and get their feet looked at. Uh, and we provide them with the foot care. If they need shoes, we provide them with shoes. But actually, we're also a signposting organization. So when we treat somebody, we're not just treating their feet, we're looking at the whole person. And what we've not been able to do and what many of the homeless people are not able to access at the moment is that additional service. So they come with very complex issues. They might be mental health issues. They might be um, uh, pulmonary or chest infections uh, and general health issues. The stigma that most homeless people are addicted to alcohol or addicted to drugs is, is quite frankly, um, is not true probably less than two or three percent of the homeless community will have addiction issues. The rest of the people are there because of society and because something they've had an inflection in their life, which has driven them, unfortunately, to live on the streets. And the issues that the pandemic has brought is it's brought a greater risk to that community. So even though many of them are now in accommodation and are being sheltered, um, that normality, that um, the normality that they would have seen, which isn't normal in our world, has been taken away from them. So if you can imagine that, you know, you've taken somebody off the streets, you've put them into a room 24-7, you've allowed them out for one hour a day, um, that's really, really restrictive for many people and certainly very restrictive for the homeless community. And as, as the beginning of July comes, when many of those people are put back out onto the streets... Um, my hope is that the governments and local authorities and um, powers that be will have found accommodation for some of them, but many of them will just go back directly to the streets. And for them, it's just going to be a rebuilding exercise. It's going to be a real building exercise mentally. It's going to be an adjustment to society again. Um, it's going to be adjustment to not being focused on and not being able to get what they want. So they're going to have to seek and um, search out what they need, whether it be food, whether it be a bed for the night. Um, whether it be a, that essential service. And I think the other thing that COVID has brought is 
COVID has stretched services generally. Before we went into the COVID situation, if I was a mental health homeless person suffering, I would have already found it really difficult to find a voice and I would have found it really difficult to find somebody to help me. The problem is compounded now significantly for many, many of those people. And I, and I think come July, those are some of the lessons that, that we've got to learn. And some of those rebuilding exercises with the individuals, uh, we're going to have to absolutely focus on. And it's about focusing on the whole person rather than just why they are in front of you. COVID has brought around a greater sense of partnership out there, almost definitely. We're now having grassroots organisations working with larger organisations, larger, larger organisations being the grant giver so that grassroots organisations can continue. From a CSR point of view, many organisations out there were already providing uh, monetary support, volunteer support, uh, initiative support. And I guess my big ask and my request from anybody who is in charge of CSR and, and working with organisations is, please don't just shut the doors. I appreciate that many organizations are re-looking at the way that they do business and they're looking at their budgets and they're looking at their finances. But please do not shut the doors on organizations, particularly in the homeless sector that need your support. There are ways that you can help. What, we've, what, we, what we have recognized is that these 6,000 people did not need to be on the, on the streets at that time. They are now have roofs over their head. Let's not go back to the ways of old and let's go back to ways of helping those people through the journey in life. And that's the only thing I would ask. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So thank you, Richard. That was that was really interesting. And how are we defining homelessness? What are some of the misconceptions around the definitions? What's some of the language you need to make sure that we are or are not using? Hmm. Um, I think, I mean, it's a really good question. I think the, the perception that most people have is a homeless person's got a, a draggly beard with lots of knots in it, looks filthy um, and lives on the streets, you know, smokes, roll up cigarettes uh, and drinks a bottle of beer. That myth has been blown out of the water, certainly over the last five or 10 years. Um, the audience that uh, and the demographic that we see now is young people, it's old people. I, I would have been able to say five years ago that the average age was about 48, male, 70 to 80% of the people that would have been served at a homeless organisation or a hostel would have been definitely male uh, and would have been there because, uh, you know, uh, they had left the army, for instance, uh, they would have been driven there by drugs or drink. Uh, but the reality now is that um, is that we have a definition of homelessness is 
I can either live on the streets or I could be living on somebody's sofa at home. Um, and as coronavirus has kicked in, what we've also seen is there's been an awful lot of government support and help um, because actually it's recognising that I don't necessarily need to live on the streets to be homeless. I could be living in somebody's um, living room and they might um, let me use that for two months. Um, we've got examples of guys and girls living in cars. There was an old statistic that you were four or five weeks away from, um, you know, being uh, not having a rent check or a, uh, a housing check. It's less than a week now. And the fear that I have is that one of the end, one of the resulting factors of um, the C19 is that actually we're going to see um, more redundancies. And as a result of that, we will see more homelessness, but not homelessness as we our perception leads us to believe, i.e. people living on the streets. It will be people um, using relatives for support, using their friends for support. So, And as I say, the demographic would have been an older demographic 10 years ago, but today we see every age um, and we, have received, we see broadly every nationality as well. Richard, you mentioned that um, the fears that there's going to be an increase in homelessness, um, mainly because we are um, in this health pandemic having this seemingly no light at the end of the tunnel. There is a recession coming um, and globally, all countries are really feeling it. And there's job losses at a, a great scale. Now, the financial crisis, because it wasn't a health pandemic, there was a path to it. But is there anything that we can learn in terms of how we can better handle the increase in people that are probably going to be homeless after this recession? I mean, I think the biggest thing is we're learning it already. I think because it is a health pandemic, um, we're actually learning that actually working together is, a, is the way forward. When you look at the financial crises that we've been in, we've been able to stick labels directly on bankers, insurers. In this instance, everybody is impacted and everybody is affected. I'm fortunate that, you know, through the work that I do in the day job, I see what's going on in the US, I see what's going on in Europe. And actually, all I have seen is great collaboration and great partnership. And I think if we can continue that great collaboration and great partnership, we will get through it. Yes, unfortunately, um, there will be winners and losers out of it. And what I see at the moment is that there is going to be a big squeeze in the middle. So, you know, if you look at the ABC demographic, unfortunately, it's going to be the B's and C's that are going to get absolutely squeezed. And those that are living on the minorities and were living on the minorities before are just going to have to um, shout a little bit harder. What I'm confident on is that the partnerships that I see, particularly in the homeless sector and particularly in the charitable sector, they are working much closer together. And previously, they wouldn't have done that. Um, I, I sat through a, a call and a conference call last week with a very large um, uh, charity, charity within the, the homeless sector. And I was heartened that actually they have reached out to grassroots organisations to provide that support. And I hope and they have guaranteed that they will continue to work with 10 smaller charities going forward. And I think we'll see that in lots more sectors, I would hope. It's it's really great to hear that different kinds of charities are working together and that what needs to happen is happening. And I wanted to just quickly look at that from a perspective of, I guess, intersectionality and other communities that are suffering. We know that LGBT homelessness, particularly among the youth demographic, is high. Have you seen that surge as a result of coronavirus or any 
difference within that kind of sector yeah i mean it's a really difficult it's a difficult one to talk about because um before we even went into coronavirus if you came from the lgbtq community you weren't shouting about it because actually you were fearful what might happen to you on the streets and that has just exacerbated even a little bit more for that community out there there are some great homeless communities for the set for those people um, and we work, and as Footworks, we work with some of them. Um, but I, ju- I am just fearful that unless um, that voice is heard and we continue to support them in the way that we have continued to support them, they are just going to become a, more, a bigger minority group out there. But so I completely agree with your point. But it was a fearful, it was fearful going into it, and I think it has just got slightly worse for those groups um, during coronavirus. Some of them will have found a great space and a great home. Um, and I just hope that those communities out there continue to feel brave enough to um, shout about their cause, and I can, I absolutely know that those charities that were there supporting them will continue to support them, whatever. There were some elements um, of your speech that I really, really wanted to pick up on, especially when it came to, um, fi- um, during this pandemic, finding a home for the homeless, and like you said, um, the talk that there weren't enough um, places for um, homeless people to go has just been blown out the water because they've been able to rehouse them. But you actually mentioned how it's been quite problematic in a lot of ways. And I'd just like to, for people who don't know, like um, why why is it that um, with the homes that they've put a lot of homeless people in, that they're only allowed to leave once a day? Why has it been so restrictive? Because it pretty much sounds like prison conditions. You're only allowed to leave for one hour a day yeah no i mean i think i mean they have they have tried to you know through um health england they have tried to apply the same rules that would have applied to anybody uh, none of us have liked the uh being constricted that the way that we have been constricted um and therefore it's exactly the same for that community therefore they've only been allowed out allowed out for essential exercise or essential uh, medication um and they've had to abide by it. Now, the, the challenge that that brings is that if I if I'm already um, if I'm already an individual that's got multiple needs, I'm already mentally challenged, but I might not be on somebody's register. Providing the home solution isn't the the, nat- the necessary answer. If if that individual has been able to get what we refer to as wraparound services whilst they have been Uh, living in a hotel or a hostel, then great. But I suspect many of them won't have been able to get the entire wraparound service that they need. So if you can imagine somebody, my my day, my day as a homeless person is I break, I wake up at 5, 5.30. I go and I go to try and find my first meal of the day. I generally go to a homeless center that I know well. I know the people that run it really well. And I know the group of individuals that that share the same experience that I do, that access that service. I then leave that that hostel and I go somewhere else um, because actually I know I've got to um, find a lunch or I've got to find a dinner. That that freedom out there for a homeless person was suddenly taken away. So on one level, yeah, it's absolutely right. It was abhorrent that those people were on the streets for a number of weeks after lockdown. It's great that they have been taken off the streets. And the issue now is, How do we make sure that those that don't want to be on the streets have a roof over their head 
And how do we make sure that those that do want to return to the streets continue to get the wraparound service that they want? And many of the day centres and the hostels out there are still struggling to work out how they operate and how they uh, will deliver the service that they used to deliver before the lockdown came. And my charity is one of them. You know, I've written to the three centres or three centres recently this week where we were providing services and many of them absolutely want us back 100%, but they're not actually sure how we can get back in there yet. So I think we, uh, personally at a local level from my charity point of view, I think I've got probably another month before those solutions are there. The, 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 the social distancing that they're talking about in the press at the moment, is there social distancing? Should there be social distancing? What should social distancing look like? They'll come up with some decisions, I think, before the end of June. And I think that will certainly ease one or two situations for some people. I just have a quick follow up to this one, um, because one of the things is, you know, and we've been talking about how this is affecting homeless people's mental health. But one of the parts that may compound it is the fact that, um, let's say, maybe someone's been on the streets for a very long time and now they've been given a roof over their heads, whether it's staying in a hotel or a hostel Mm -hmm. or wherever it is, wouldn't actually, you know, in a longer term, really compound how they feel mentally when they have to then be, you know, to be honest, turfed out and go, okay, social distancing measures is, um, you know, away now, we're getting society back to normal. If they suddenly had that ripped away from them, I mean, how... On what scale can we try and prevent that from happening? We're we're in the lap of the um, local authorities. So when coronavirus kicked in, central government provided the funds for that community, the homeless community. What's happened now is that the central government have devolved the uh, responsibility back down to local authorities. It's now for local authorities to make sure that they are provisioning. And all we can do is is focus on our local MPs, focus on the local authority and start campaigning. Crisis, for instance, is launching a campaign this week, Homes for All. And their Homes for All campaign is to basically say at a local level, every borough, every local authority has choices. And and don't get me wrong, the choices between homelessness and uh, abuse in the home, it's a very fine line. Everybody needs support, and in particularly in the area of homelessness. What has proven is Housing First, which is a program out there, Housing First absolutely works because it treats the whole person. It not only provides the roof, it provides all of the support. Giving somebody a roof isn't the solution. They need financial support. They need financial um, um, uh, and monetary support in terms of how to manage money in the home. They need the health support. Um, I'll give you a lovely example of uh, a guy who was given a roof. Fantastic. It took five weeks to get him out of the bathroom because he felt at home. He felt comfortable. He wouldn't leave his bathroom. Um, I've got another example of somebody who was given a roof. He wouldn't, um, he wouldn't go back to the place because it had a letterbox and his fear was in his pre in his prior life. The, the reason that he drove him to the streets was every other letter was a demand for something. And he felt that, you know, with another letterbox, it was just going to be a demand for something. So trying to treat that whole person and trying to treat some of those mental issues and try and help them break them down, I think, does encourage them. And, and I think um, I think you're right, Leanna. It, if I were a homeless person in a hotel at Mao, I'd feel very grateful. But I'd be very fearful of what comes at the beginning of July for me. 
but I also know there's an awful lot of support workers out there that are doing absolutely their best to try and help that community and try and find provision for that community as we come out of this lockdown situation. Um, but it, unfortunately, it won't be for everybody and not everybody will get a roof over their head. And that will be because some don't want it and some are in a more difficult situation than others. And, and that's the bit that hurts me most of the time. I think that's, personally, I found what you've just said incredibly moving. And really the question that I have that, that flows up, I mean, and by moving, I, I do mean heartbreaking. What can we do to help? And, you know, a lot of the people that will be listening to this will work for corporates. I'm very fortunate that I work for a corporate. What can corporates do? In the past, there's been corporate sleepouts, which it could be argued a virtue signaling, but they may help. I, I don't know. What can we do that actually helps? Um, yeah, I think that's a really good question. I, I think I think underneath this, I think what the first thing an organisation and CSR and uh, can realise is that when this is all over, I think realising that we're all the same, I think is the most important thing. And I think generally we are all good people. And I hope um, when we all come to the, we will all come to the same conclusion that a more equal and fairer society is generally better for everybody. And therefore I make the point that if you're about to cut the budget, just think again, you can cut the budget and still do some great work. And I'm not, you know, I'm not pleading. I'm basically saying if you want to continue your mission as a socially responsible organization or business um, that provides and provisions for the welfare of your team members and employees the same way that you provision and want to provision for the wider society, then there are ways to help. And they might be small gestures, as you quite rightly say, there is the big sleep out. Um, there is encouraging team members to make up little kit bags or provide food. Um, uh, to do a, a food bank um, pledge every week. All of those things go a great way that don't actually cost an organisation an awful lot of money either, but they are huge initiatives and buddying up and partnering with some grassroots organisations out there also um, deliver a huge benefit for an organisation and actually they deliver a huge benefit for the welfare of the team members and employees within that organization as well, because actually they value their worth is being valued. And what that says is I value the worth of another individual as well, or an organization. So, I mean, I'm, I'm still actually shaking a little bit about some of the um, stories that you're telling about, obviously the tailored needs um, for individuals when it comes to understanding how to rehome the homeless and also understanding the mental health impact on that. And the thing that really struck me, and uh, so I got a little bit teary, is just about um, the guy who, you know, was triggered by the post box because every day there'd be something like a demand and things like that. And it's a very, it's very upsetting. But there's something in that because when it's saying there's a demand, it will be bills and things like that. Do you think there is a corporate social responsibility as well, though, to actually get to that point to try and prevent homelessness? Yeah. So, for example, do you think that there should be a tweak or how it's looked in CSR to work with maybe the people functions in a corporate to make sure that if there are job, if there are layoffs, that there's a very um, 
there's a procedure that's a bit more generous than yeah. what is statutory to prevent yeah. further homelessness. Yeah. Um, listen, I, I've been a CEO of, of organisations in the past and large organisations and people welfare is the number one thing. Yeah, it's very easy to say, look, I'm going to right size my organisation. But when you look at your people systems and you look at it from a holistic point of view, we all absolutely have a responsibility. It isn't a case of just numbers and boxes. What it is a case of is treating the the other individual as a human being on the other side of the of the other side of the table, and treating them with some care and some consideration. And you're right, there is a need. There's a nice way of doing it, and there's a there's a nasty way of doing it. And I would encourage organisations to do the nice way of doing things and consider the whole person that's in front of them. And I, I can guarantee now, I, I work with a, a US corporation at the moment um, and they have a care system. So they're providing medical care. Um, they're providing um, uh, gyms. So they're providing the, the mental health and the physical health. Uh, and during this process, they've been you know, they've had to furlough nearly 250 employees. Sadly, they've made some decisions that some of those employees will not be coming back to their organisation. But in all of that, they put the person at the centre of the conversation rather than the needs of the organisation. Profit is important, but if you take a longer-term system view of your business rather than a short-term fiscal view of your business, I can absolutely guarantee it pays back in spades. Um, I've worked in Canada, I've worked in the US and I've worked in Europe. In Europe, we take a very short term view sometimes. All I would ask is you take a longer term view and there are ways of doing it. And it might be don't make the person uh, redundant. Actually, why not? Why not job share with that person? Why not give them fewer hours rather than just say and, 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 and let them buddy up with somebody else? You're still no less effective. You're still as effective. And you still get to your corporate goal of, of reduction in headcount and reduction in, in costs and overhead costs to your business. But there's a different way of doing it. Um, I think the other thing is that, if I might just briefly add, is that we're dealing with a, I think we're dealing with a demographic that's a, of a different era and a different age. And I think um, if I were the people systems person, I would be very mindful that I'm possibly dealing with um you know, the gig economy or millennials that broadly have had never, never anybody has said no to them. And sadly, the coronavirus is delivering a message that in some instances that it is not possible to say yes. But if you're going to have to deliver that message, what are the alternatives? And I do think some organisations are being really creative at the moment about what the alternatives are. A decade ago, um, leaders of organisations would have said no to working from home. And likewise, leaders of organisations are now saying, how can I adapt to that? And how can I encourage my employees to stay at home? Because actually, I don't want them getting on a bus or a train or a car and spending an hour commuting, because actually, they're no less effective. In fact, they're more effective uh, being in the home environment than they would have been in the office environment. Um, so I think we've all learned an awful lot about this. And we've also, I think we've also learned a lot about ourselves as well. Um, whilst it's not been pleasant in some instances, I think we've been surprised by some of the results in other instances. I just wanted to say thank you so much for educating us and for for sharing things with us. And I just wanted to ask a final question about if you had sort of one thing you wanted to leave with, whether it's what a CSR department 
can do, um, what organization you should reach out with a piece of advice to take away for those that have been listening and think, actually, I need to make a difference and this is not okay. What would you leave that person with as an answer? Um, I think it comes for me, it's take a, it's take a holistic, take a system view. Don't just think about yourself in the round. Think about um, the associated businesses, the associated partners, um, the associated organizations. Because actually, I think what we have proven going into Corona was when we were operating in silos, an old phrase I know, but actually what we've realized is by collaborating, by partnering and thinking outside of the norm, um, we've ended up being better people and better businesses. That's, and I would encourage, and it's very difficult um, because sometimes it's easy to revert back to the norm. Um, I would encourage organizations to keep doing what they're doing and be, and be that caring organization that they have suddenly become as a result of coronavirus. Richard, thank you so much for that conversation. It was incredibly valuable. And um, I'm sure that there are a lot of people listening that would really like to find out more information. So where can they find you online or your organisation? So organisation, it's uh, Footworks on on Facebook. Uh, You can find me at Cheltenham55 on Twitter. um, And it's MHS Homes Group if you want to follow me on uh, housing. Thank you, Richard. Remember, you can find videos and articles about this series on the Yahoo Finance UK site. And if you've enjoyed this series, please rate, review and subscribe so we can let you know when the next series of talks will be available. Hopefully, you'll be able to come along for live recordings. Thank you to all those who have joined us over the past few weeks for discussion around corporate social responsibility at a time of global crisis. There are so many unique challenges to think about and we hope we've helped you break some of the echo chambers surrounding these social issues. Until next season, stay safe. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.